Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag college football. I do think it is a disruptive moment, and they have to meet it. And if they try to sue, uh, and if they threaten, as they have threatened respectfully California, to pull NC2A uh, access uh, to our Pac-12 conference and to all of our schools, I think they'll lose their public opinion, and ultimately uh, their moral authority will wane as well as their formal authority, and the whole system will collapse. California Governor Gavin Newsom. Man, that was bleak. The whole system could collapse, PK. Do fans really want to talk about this? Do they want to talk about finding a way to beat your next opponent? Because, I mean, we, we reflect what the fans want to talk about. So we're going to spend the next three, four years. Caring about how much money somebody you don't know, how much they make. When they're already getting stuff. and, and they, I, I just wonder what the fans think. Hit us, hit us up on Twitter. David DJ James, use the open mic on the app. Send the audio to Yak. Because as we had Dennis Dodd on yesterday, what does it mean for the fans? Nothing. How much is it really going to change the balance of power? The best teams that are getting the best players are still going to be the best teams to get the best players? This I don't want to talk about this it. This isn't going to be the end of Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Alabama. No, this, it's actually this isn't the, rich, gonna, the rich get richer. This isn't going to help San Diego State close the gap. There's no phrase Florida. the rich get poorer. <laughs> the rich. Despite what the Democrats want to do. And now the rich get poorer. Yeah, that was a joke, that last part. Don't get all excited. North Carolina's athletic director, Bubba Cunningham, said he regrets the Tar Heels ridiculing Clemson fans on their in-stadium video board. Some of the digs saying the Clemson fans were bandwaggers. Thinks Clemson is in Georgia. I think it's bandwagoners, not just bandwaggers. Bandwaggers. Bandwaggoners. Bandwaggers. Can't can't name Clemson's last head coach. Also a Patriots fan. Bandwaggers. And thinks the fridge is just a kitchen appliance. So. Taking shots. If you're in a band, what do you do? You just wag? Yep. (laughs) DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Kirk, did you take offense to that quote at all? No, like he said, it's reality. I really want to apologize to him because there's too many opportunities where we could have hit him on Sunday. And post-game, when I talk to the media, I always say, hey, until I watch the film, it's hard for me to really give you a straight answer. Well, I've watched the film. And the reality is there were opportunities for him. Uh, the one that's most obvious is the third and ten at the beginning of the game. We're near midfield. That's arguably seven points. If you put the ball where it needs to be, we, he's shown, number 19's shown, that he will make that play. And he'll probably finish the play in the end zone and pull away from the defender. That's Kirk Cousins apologizing to Adam Thielen. It was hard on him after the game. And Kirk says, yeah, I've seen the film, and it should have been. So Minnesota 2-2 two and two in a division where mediocre probably isn't going to be good enough. It looks like they got some good teams in that division. Uh, Thielen's okay, but really, when you think about it, he's a bandwagger. <laughs> we have found our theme for this morning already. As he prepares to face his former team in London... Chicago Bears linebacker Khalil Mack admitted he expected to be a Raider for life. That's the expectation when you get drafted to a team. You want to be there for the long haul. Bring them championships and all those good things. It's the business side of it that doesn't really let you do that. You think 
who has more bandwaggers? Utah State, Utah, BYU. I mean, those people who rushed the field against SC, were they mostly bandwaggers? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> All these Pac-12 stickered fans. Bandwaggers. Are, are they bandwaggers? Bandwaggers. Total bandwaggers. Total bandwaggers. <laughs> Where were you in 1992? <laughs> exactly. My point, yes. 17,000 people rattling around a decrepit wooden stadium. <laughs> yes. Now they showed up. Hey, shiny stickers, yeah. shiny stadium, USC. Yeah. yeah. Where's the tailgate? I need some ribs. Right. Yes. Are you talking mostly? What's the percentage of bandwaggers? Where were you when the Lobos were the big game and you couldn't win it? What did you say, 40% bandwaggers? Who was there for Mac's first game? Let's see a show of hands. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. The kick, here it comes. Swing and a line drive. Base hit right field. Taylor scores from third. Stevenson around third. The ball missed in right field. Rounding third. Coming home is Rendon. He will score. But now caught in a run down is Soto. He will be tagged out by Moustakis. But that's... Every one of that last members of that crowd roaring there, bandwaggers. Wow. Those are the no, Montreal no, no. Expos. No, they're hardcore. They're not. Because that's a dying sport. They are not hardcore. Yes, they are. My college roommate is one of them. Giants fan for life. Oh, now so loving the Nationals. Where does he live? Stop it. Silver Spring, Maryland. Well, duh. He lives in the DMC. <laughs> He's a Giants fan. Show some loyalty. Uh, who did the Giants play yesterday? <laughs> they're done. <laughs> Shock. You haven't moved around. You've gone, you lived in two places, two states. The rest of us, we get around. And so you end up going, having some affection. You either hate the team, teams where you live, or you end up drawing closer to those teams. And you never had it in your mind. To think that I would know who the backup quarterbacks are for the University of Utah is preposterous 25 years ago. And the Jazz and watching every game. And I got my, uh, what do they call it, the state thing, shirt, you know, when they had the... City edition? City edition, there you go, thank you. Yeah. Now, it's all right, man. That was a heck of a three-run rally right there, keyed by a hit batter that I thought the ball hit the bat first. I don't know why on the review they didn't catch on to that. And then the So everybody's wrong but you? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Broken bat (laughs) blooper... That dropped in in shallow center field. And then the error on what should have been a two-run single. That's the beauty of this sport. There's no stalling. You can't kick it out of bounds. You can't do stalling and trying to get the clock. You get 27. I get 27. And then we add them up when we're done. It's the ultimate fair. You can be 6'8", 275, like Aaron Judge, or you could be 5'7", like Jose Altuve, and have just as much impact. If he's 5'7". Well, when he goes up and tries to hit that high pitch. I got Stands you. up. Yeah, got on those tippy toes. toes. Yeah, okay, exactly. And all it takes to change everything is simply one hit. <laughs> so reverence to Juan Soto, the one hit, the can twenty make year the old, difference. who delivered the clutch single in That's the eighth inning. That's all it takes. 
one hit, and it changes everything. And we thought it was all going to hang on starting pitching because you can't trust the Nationals' bullpen. And yet, Scherzer gives up a walk and a homer to open the game, which was a terrible start, and another homer in the second. And the bullpen is money, and when they get the lead, shuts them down. Yeah, but the bullpen doesn't include... The bullpen doesn't include Strasburg normally. <laughs> he comes in, gets some outs for him. All right, DJ and PK, there you go. That is what is trending. And it's brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. Receive a free reverse osmosis system with the purchase of any water softener. Shamrock Plumbing, 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Riley Nelson, BYU radio analyst for Cougar Football, is going to join us at 7.30. Riley Jensen, our college football insider, will be here at 8.30. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Oh, it's also a win tickets Wednesday. we got concert tickets, too. And it's also Joe Ingles' birthday. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. And now, attention, top of the wire on 97.5, 12.80 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Washington Nationals beat the Milwaukee Brewers 4-3 and advance to the National League Division Series. They'll face the Dodgers in Game 1 tomorrow night, 6.30 on TBS. Tonight, it's the American League Wild Card Game. Tampa Bay and Oakland at the Coliseum, 6 o'clock on ESPN. You can see the game. Angels mum on multiple reports that they plan to hire Joe Madden as their new manager during a conference call yesterday. GM Billy Epler told reporters that we have a hiring process to go through, so I think it's premature to say anything contrary to that. We're going to collect names this afternoon and particularly plan on sitting down with a number of candidates. I would not handicap it any other way at this moment in time. Top of the Wire brought to you by Restore Hyper Wellness and Cryotherapy. If you want better health and to feel better, check out Restore Hyper Wellness and Cryotherapy and ask about the Zone listener specials on cryotherapy, IV drips, hyperbaric oxygen treatment, and more. Visit Restore.com for more details. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. The head coach of the Utah Jazz, Quinn Snyder, you're certainly capturing a lot of national attention. I know you probably don't spend a lot of time on that stuff, but when you become a little bit of the hunted and not the hunter, do you worry about a mindset of a team coming into a season? Well, I, to be honest with you, we were picked third in the West last year. I don't think we're picked third in the West this year, so I don't know if we're being hunted or we're hunting. Or I hope we get hunted a little bit because yeah. that gives you urgency. And I hope we do some hunting too because <laughs> I think with that, whatever. Whatever the external perceptions are, you know, however we process that, it's important for our focus to be on maximizing who we are. And that doesn't mean you don't have goals. You know, ideally we have high goals and, you know, enthusiasm for those, but the way to get there is to kind of dig in. Catch Hans and Scotty every day from noon to three. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you by Master Electrical Services. And Master Electrical will light up your day. Give us a call at 801 543 We'll be right on our way. That's 801 543 That was a concert last night. All right. Rock legend Robert Plant. Yeah, it's fine. Place packed. Uh, I was third row from the top, so it's tiered. You can't really see down below, so I don't know. We are in the middle of a bye week now, and we got Joe Ingles' birthday, and mediocrity is imminent. We have multiple topics on the table here. And yeah, Jeju said that about BYU yesterday, mediocrity is imminent, and I was thinking about that. Is that true? Do you really believe, as far as the Cougars, mediocrity is imminent? 
855-340-ZONE. Because what is mediocrity? You have to define that first. Six and six. Is eight and four mediocre too? I don't think eight and four is mediocre. Eight and four feels good, doesn't it? Right. Seven and five? No, it's not great. You're not lighting the world up on fire. But when you look at it, mediocrity extends to, you know, if you want to go seven and five. But you look at it in the South, for instance. In the Pac-12, I'm speaking of. And there are only two teams that got bowl eligible last year. That's it. That's it. And what was? One was 9-3, and three, one was 7-5, and five, and the others were below that, obviously. Below 6-6. Six and six. So, if the Cougars have mediocrity imminent, doesn't that just place them in with what the majority of the teams are? See, I think I would extend it to eight and four, depending on who you are. Extend what? what? Kind of the the mediocrity to eight and four. Really? Well, you win two thirds of your games, and if you schedule, I mean, you, if you have, if you're in an eight team league, I guess not here because you're in, you got a nine game conference schedule. But if you're five and four in the Pac-12 and you schedule yourself three wins, do you feel like a good team? Well. If you can totally Alabama's control playing three. Western Carolina. Yeah, I got it. And I was about so, to say, I was about to say for the eight team, which is ACC and SEC, so we're not really living and dying with that. Mountain stuff West, here. but uh, the Mountain West, but they usually do it to schedule up for two games. So I don't feel like they set themselves up. And maybe I should look at somebody's schedule. Does somebody set themselves up for four easy wins? I don't know. Yeah, I think if you're trying to go home and home with Pac-12 or Big 12 schools, which I think a lot of them are, then they're not trying to set themselves up. I mean, what is mediocrity? What are most of these teams? I think actually the majority, if not the overwhelming majority, then mediocrity is imminent. I mean, most of the teams in the Pac-12 were mediocre. Five and four or four and five in the league? It sounds so condemning to BYU. Why aren't you great? But how much of that and how many of those are in that same category and swimming in the same pool? Well, by definition, there can't be that many who are great. Well, why not? (laughs) There should be... Well, because they're all playing each other. Well, then then half of them should be. A third suck, a third mediocre, a third really good. Yeah, well, I, I think there could be more than that. I beat you, you beat me, and she beats us, and we beat them, and that, that's a, that's what you end up having. Well, you yeah, got, we've already we've already had it this year, right? Well, Utah, you beat, Utah you beat BYU, BYU, BYU beat USC, yeah. and then USC beat Utah. Right. So then that that's all three of all, you are mediocre, right? None of you are excellent. Nobody could sweep the others, right? Aren't most teams imminently mediocre? In the NBA, we'll have teams this year who probably will be scrapping to be 500 and will get in the postseason. They're imminently mediocre. If you're going to let in 16 to 30, yeah. by definition, you got to let in teams 15 and 16 in the middle and, of the league. And the Jazz, were they really that good last year? Because we heard for the first 
six months of the schedule, it's too tough. It's too tough. It's too tough. Well, then when the schedule gets easier, so then basically the, the people who kept telling us the schedule, the schedule, the schedule, you and then the, when it turned, yeah. Yeah, you beat the bad teams, you lost the good teams. That makes you imminently mediocre. No matter how many wins you had, you we had all these guys telling us the schedule is so hard. Well, and what they were saying is, you're not good enough to beat those teams. Wait till the schedule turns easier, and then you're good. So you're right in the middle. You're dead center, right in the middle. What we all dream of being on the tee, right down the middle. Except they weren't. They had the eighth best record in the league, but they were in the middle of the playoff race. Yeah, but see that. So the assumption is those teams are lousy. Don't they don't count? And you're in the middle of the teams that do count. So you're mediocre. Mediocre then has a as a flexible barrier, right? So yeah, you that you spent all that time telling us it was at least two months that the schedule, the schedule, the it schedule. Was, it was it was November and December, and it turned the first of the year. So yeah. then all that was is they just spent a good portion beating up on a bunch of average teams, and if you could only beat average teams, what are you? A little better than average, because you're beating the average. So if you're flexible with that mediocre barrier, you're at the top of mediocrity. Rather than at the bottom of mediocrity. Because the Warriors define greatness and really only. And you go out in the first round, only the Raptors. The Raptors and the Rockets are the only teams. That seems pretty mediocre to me. Hence why they made all these these changes. changes, Right. Dennis said at the podium Mondays, three straight years with the Warriors and the Rockets. Yeah. You know, that that tells us. That tells Yeah, I mean, certain folks don't want to say that they're mediocre because that sounds bad and you might hurt the brand. Well, I mean, I'm I'm employed to speak what I think. And now I expect them to be better than mediocre. I guess under the flexible mediocre definition that what happens with teams, and this is college and pro, is that you always expect a fan base, but probably players, coaches, and management, too, expect improvement. And so for the Jazz, you know, the schedule's too tough. That's against the backdrop of we don't want to be in the 4-5 series again. And yet, there they were for the third straight year in the 4-5 series. So it wasn't so much we're mediocre as defined by 41-41, and 41, or in college football case, 6-6. Six and six. It was more we're on the same treadmill, we're going to the same point. We're going to play a series or two. We're going to hit the Rockets or the Warriors. And we're not going to be good. Well, running in place really describes mediocre to me. I don't know about you. I mean, I'm harsher. I get that. I'm not interested in being popular here. So, to me, if you're running in place, as you use your treadmill analogy, you're mediocre. That doesn't mean you don't try to get better, because you always try to get better. And we take the Jazz situation, we all think they're going to be better. I certainly think they're going to be better than mediocre this year. They were aggressive and made a bunch of changes that we all love. See how it plays out on the floor, but I'm expecting far better results. And I'm not expecting them to be mediocre. I'm expecting them to contend. That's great. And and plus, being mediocre isn't necessarily a bad foundation. You got to start somewhere. In order to get better, get better from what? Get better from less than mediocre? Or would you prefer to get better from mediocre? I'd prefer to get better from mediocre rather than less than mediocre because you just told me a third of the teams are less than mediocre. Yep. So it seems to me you're better off. Diamondbacks trying to Win it all in the next few years. Well, they won 85 games. 
So how do you not get, a bad start. It's not. How do you get to 90? Yeah. And I, I'd rather I'd rather be trying to get to 90 off 85 wins like the Diamondbacks than 70 like the Padres. They were mediocre for most of the season. And then at the end, they won like five or six games in a row. And so it inflates it a little bit. And they end up with 85 wins. Four games out of the after, potential play. After dancing within two games of 500 for weeks and weeks. Months. Months. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, I think they won five in a row at the end and like eight out of nine or something. But in my mind, that's a good starting point. Does BYU have a good starting point or are they just do? Well, see, that's the funny thing is the Jay didn't drop that phrase last year when they were six and six, seven and six with a bowl game. But coming off four and nine, that's an improvement. You're up three games. Now it looks like they're headed for six or seven wins again. And so he says mediocrity is imminent. Mediocrity felt good last year because you're not bad. 4-9 was bad. That was a bad year. Right from the get-go, the first win over Portland State was like, uh-oh, 20-6 over those guys? Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Yep. So to your point, yeah, mediocrity is good. When you've been bad, you feel like you're on the way to somewhere. Okay, and so are they on the way to somewhere? It feels like they're on the way back to six or seven or wins. Or they're on the road to Busville. Bada bang, I see what you did there, bringing back the classics. <laughs> and so it comes back to you feel mediocre when you feel like you're doing the same thing you've done before. Now, for the Jazz, that's the 4 5 series, which out of 15 teams, fifth is, uh, you know, you're in the top third. Barely. Literally by a game, I think, last year, because somebody was sitting on 49. I don't know who it was, but there were teams on 48 and 49 wins last year. So I don't know that you're that much better, but you are. A game or two better over 82. Better being a game or two worse. But you're, you're barely out of the middle third of the conference. Like you said, why'd they make all those changes? Why'd they move so many guys? Break up guys who loved going to dinner together and were good guys and were popular and fans liked him. Paid to see him because they wanted to do better than fifth. They were mediocre. Yeah. Got to gear it up. We need another level. Uh, I and think, that's what I think Jay's fifth place is mediocre. Under the theory of third suck, third mediocre, third good or great. You're in the top third, five out of 15, barely by a game. Yeah, I don't know that it has to necessarily be evenly divided. It It is, and I think the thing is that in the West the last couple years, the Warriors and the Rockets have looked like, man, those guys are really good, and we're not in their class. Right, so you You didn't divide it evenly. Right. I mean, you can just throw the numbers out there, one through five, but when two teams have pulled away... Everybody else is kind of like, well, how do we get up with those guys? Right. Well, you go get shooters. You go get Bogdanovich. You go Better get Conley. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to talk a little college football with Riley Nelson, BYU football radio analyst, joins us every week right here with DJ and PK on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone, and he's on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Riley, good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you guys this morning. Yeah, but you'd rather be here after a win over Toledo than after a loss over Toledo because, you know, you could hear your voice like, now they're going to ask me what went wrong. Man, I hate this. Winning's more fun than losing. <laughs> yeah, that, Hey, that is true. I'm not going to deny that. But I was, I was listening to the lead-in on the radio um, about, you know, 4-8 and eight against – or 7-6 seven, seven and six last year looks good against the backdrop of 4-8. and eight. There, There's a – there's an element in here that uh, I think is at least worth some consideration, and that's that when, when you're in a conference, or you were just talking about the Jazz, right? Making yeah. Within divisions and a conference and things like that, 
you get an even distribution. In other words, you're going to end up in conference play with teams that win zero or none games, teams that win two or three, teams that go about 500. You know, and you you end up every year with an even distribution of that. The challenge with independence is that that distribution is out the window. It's really because it's just a collection of individual programs. It's anybody's guess how strong or how good that program is. So, well, you know, another six or seven weeks on paper, just by looking at the amount of wins, looks flat from 2018 to 2019. I think there's a valid argument to be made that it's that it's actually a step forward. That the same record. Because the distribution of teams, and if we objectively look at the strength of this schedule and the strength and the way that this schedule came together, it's significantly harder than last year. So six or seven wins this year is actually a marginal step forward against last year. What do you guys think? Yeah, well, that's, it or not? That, that, they've got to get there first. Uh, you know, they're not there yet, obviously. Yeah, and no and if they had, I'd feel a lot better about what you're saying if they were three and two. Rather than two and three, and then you put in the backdrop of a now another freshman quarterback, uh, similar to last year when the schedule turned what we perceived as softer and probably analytically softer too. They put in the freshman Wilson, and he had fair success, and obviously he finished strong in the bowl game against a team that they were better than. What does Jaron Hall do? I look at it, and I could see what you're saying. To me, is the program progressing? Because you really don't want to get caught up, and it's hard to do this, I grant you, get caught up individually on any game, one game, and go nuts either way, you know, because they beat SC. Well, extend Kalani, and I did it too. I'm, I'm, I'm criticizing myself. Let's The program is going in the right direction. All the fans were fired up, blah, blah, blah. It's the greatest moment they've had since they've been independent, basically, or at least in a few years. And so the program is now headed in the right direction. And then you come back a couple of weeks later, and you lose to Toledo. Oh, my gosh, man, what are they doing? This program is going down the tubes. So you get caught up in this roller coaster of emotion. You try to step back, Riley, and you say to yourself, is the program going in the right direction? I'm I'm more shaky than I was this time last week, but I still think it's going in a better direction than it has been the last couple years. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would say... One thing that might help help not get caught on looking at individual games. And look, let me just uh, basically all I have to say on the Toledo game is this: is that this team every every game, every win or loss is on the spectrum of on the far end you you dominate it and you win soundly, or on the other end you get dominated and you lose and you and you never had a chance. You were outmatched, and outplayed. This BYU team, thus far in the season, and I don't expect this to change even as a schedule, they live in the middle where it's really your some lucky bounces went your, went your way and, and you were the benefactor of them and you ended up winning the game, and then some unlucky bounces went against you, and that was the difference in, in you losing. As you look at their two wins, they didn't dominate USC. They didn't dominate Tennessee. They kind of hung in there and, and the ball bounced away. Uh, you know, I, with the exception of Washington, which pretty much dominated BYU, and, and of course Utah wasn't that close, but still you look at that game and, and wish you wouldn't have given away the two defensive touchdowns. But in, in this Toledo game, it was that where a couple of unlucky bounces went went against them. Now you could argue, you know, decisions and poor execution or, or some things like that, and, 
and those are valid. But the, but the reality is, over the course of a football game, that's happening with all 11 guys on every single play, and, and so it kind of washes out as your collective effort. So this BYU team, the fans should realize that like we live on that, on that knife's edge, that basically every game is going to come down to did we make our own luck or did we or did you know some some bad bounces go against us and then as far as the program goes i think you have to look at other metrics i think competitiveness is a huge thing like as much as we want to win every game i'd much rather have a game, have every game come down to the fourth quarter and if we don't win some i i'm okay with that as long as because just getting your butt handed to you is that's hard to deal with for me. If we're competitive and we don't win everyone, I can still go and support and feel good about being a fan. And then you should look at other metrics. Like, I think, you know, are they continuing to produce NFL talent, I think, is a significant metric of, of which way the program is going. Um, I, I do think, you know, uh, some of the analytics and stats and where they measure, as long as they're in the upper third of the NCAA, I think that's a good good sign. And I realize they're, they're you know, they're delivering on some of those, and they're not delivering on others. But it, but that's where uh, I think the litmus test or the bar should be set. Riley Nelson joined us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I get your point on schedules because uh, I don't think all the independent schedules are created equal. Maybe I'd have to break it down. I think the last two years are relatively similar. I think next year is going to be significantly harder than this year. Um I guess one thing is I watched all of these five games, but it's really getting driven home here. Maybe because a couple of them, you know, we're so caught up in the ending of the game, you don't look at all the stuff as seriously that comes before it. But that was another team that ran for 200 yards on BYU. That's five games in now, and BYU's 118th against the run in the country. And it's going to be hard to be anything better than mediocre if teams can run the ball on you like that. It might take some serious effort by the other phases in the other phases of the game just to get to seven wins if you're giving up that kind of yardage. What is the problem there? Yeah, that is a great question. And uh, I'd call out to anybody who has access to the film and can do this kind of analysis because, unfortunately, I don't have time. But I would love to see their production when they're putting four guys with their hand on the ground, a 4-3 versus a 3-4, because it seems to me that the 3-4, you know, Kyrus Tong is a beast and Lorenzo Flautea, they have those guys that know tackle. And so when, if people are trying to run ISO schemes or straight downhill in the in the A gaps or even in the B gaps, right, they're running around the center guards or the guard center guards in, in that area. Teams have not had success, so they're not running straight at the teeth. But anytime they go B gap, so the guard tackle or off tackle or wider, there's, there's significant trouble here and and uh, it's not so there, but there's actually two aspects of this one is the three four versus the four three but then the second aspect is BYU prefers because guys like Chris Wilcox and Troy Warner you know are, are out uh, and and they felt even coming into the season and then it's been compounded by you know Zane Anderson's out as well but guys in the second they feel light in the secondary so they always feel the need to keep two safeties back. So the problem with it is when you have a three-man front and you're keeping two safeties high, yeah, you've got the four backers in the intermediate, but the problem is they're lined up four or five yards down the field, and as you run it off, you know, you run a run play and you're releasing linemen downfield, that means they're not getting touched first touch at four to five yards down the field, which means average gains of six, seven, eight yards, and 
And that's that. You're right. That is tough to live with because it, let's assume that happens on first down. Now you're living in second to short. Your entire playbook's open. Even if you fail there, you're in a third and manageable, and so your conversion rate on third down is really high. And and yeah, well, this this BYU uh, defensive philosophy seems to be one of the force team. You know, is bend don't break and force teams to sustain drives. Well, the reality is they've been able to do that um, at, at a high enough clip that it's making it. You're right; it is putting immense pressure on the other phases of the game, on the offense and the defense. Uh, to produce, so uh, I I would like to see him, you know, get some four down front, get throw some even some bear front bears where you have you know the three down lineman covering up the guard center guard, then you have the two stand up ends, and that it was made famous by the 1985 Bears who were a beast against run, but they realized like if running is what everybody in the country would prefer to do because it takes the pressure off everybody else and it just makes it easy. You get in front of the sticks and it, and it makes life easy on the offense. So they have to find, um, they have to find answers there. And I, I don't know that they have through the first five games, so I'd, I'd like to see them get creative and change it up a little bit as we head into this next slate. So, we know Jaron Hall is going to play in this next game. He's going to start, and it, decent timing with a bye week. From the coaching perspective, with several practices to go before the actual game, what would you be doing as a coach to get him as prepared as possible for the actual game? Yeah, we're the lucky. So during every bye week, college football teams do what's called a self scout, where they go back and they look at every game they played thus far in the season, and they try and identify tendencies not not only places where they're bad, but places where they're really good. And so you've got to be locked in and know exactly where you're really good and what what. So where you've been really good with Wilson, and then you have to be really honest and truthful with okay, what can Jared, what of that subset of offensive plays can Jared execute at a high, high level. And then the second aspect is a little bit of a risk, but you have to spend a ton of time with him. You have to go back to all his reps in fall camp and see, all right, what did he execute at a high level that maybe Zach didn't feel as comfortable with, or when Zach was in, we as an offense didn't have the right dynamics in place to execute. So the trick is not getting – the onus is not on – Jaron so much now he has to prepare mentally and you know for the what he's going to face in South Florida and all those things but the onus is not on him to become Zach Wilson as quickly as possible the onus is more on the offensive staff to identify what he does well what the offense does really well and architect a game plan that gives him the highest chance for success because a kid in his first start you can't expect him to come in and run the same as a kid in his 12th start. You have to make him feel comfortable on every play. And what I think that looks like, I think that looks like maybe a few more design quarterback runs. Um, I think it looks like a little bit more rollout play action, less less straight drop back out of shotgun. Hopefully, and this BYU team, the closest thing they've gotten under center is running pistols. So hopefully they, they have some kind of roll out, put the QB on the move game out of pistol. If not, I'd like to see him kind of under center. Um, and, and then putting, and then an aspect that Jaron Shodi did well in spring is you can put him out there with four and five wides, even empty sets. And because the defense is so spaced out, you give him kind of a one-two look. And if it's not there, you let him create with his legs and space. And I, if, if I were the coordinator, that would be my, that would be how I would be spending my bye week and the prep week going into South Florida. What did you think of the BYU running game with Tyson Williams hurt? 
How do you think they performed against Toledo, and how much help is that running game going to be to Hall as he tries to settle in? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I so between uh, Lopini Catella and Emmanuel Supa, they got 16 carries over the whole game, and so I, I really the jury's still out because they didn't give a, they didn't get a big enough workload or a big enough sample size for me to really see how those how those guys performed and. I gotta believe that that's because you know BYU. Unfortunately, they were playing from behind, so that's probably why they threw it. Uh, and even when they were able to tie or even take the lead, I feel like their game plan going in is they felt like they had an advantage uh, with the passing game versus the Toledo secondary. So they kept throwing the ball down the field. So I, the jury's still out for me. I didn't get a good enough look at what this uh, at what this run game looks like, and I do think. Look, we talked about how BYU's inability on defense to be stout against the run makes it easier on other offenses. I think now the BYU offense has to make a commitment to the run game to make it easier on a freshman quarterback making his first start and at least commit commit to it for at least two and a half quarters and see what's going on there, You know, hoping and assuming that the game doesn't get out of hand in that time. But you have to commit to it, A, to see what you have, and B, it's your best chance at given a freshman in his first start a chance to be successful. Everybody as an analyst, Riley, is looking for something that's going to set them apart. You can, you don't even have to thank me, but when he makes his first great pass or his second great pass, I'm giving you full authority to say that is a phenomenal haul pass. Get it, Riley? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I love it. T- trademark PK. I'll throw that in there, too. He's also made a prediction that it's what the hallways because – the whole the way, way. The way you win at BYU, the last quarterback to beat Utah, Max Hall, now it's Jaron Hall. The hallway, Riley. And now, DJ, I got to ask you, is he recycling these from when Max is trying, you know, the hall pass and the hall? No, no, or, this or, is all, this is, this is new material. PK puts a crowbar okay. in his wallet once a decade and pays a writer to come up with some new stuff. <laughs> you got to be on cutting edge. I have some classic tunes that I play, but in order to still fill the arenas, you've got to come out with some new stuff. So this is new stuff, Riley. These are new Probably. tunes. Oh, Judy, Judy, Judy! We'll make you get all the credit you deserve for this new material. Okay. <laughs> and you can pass it on to Rebel, too. All right, sounds good. I'm sure we'll let it up. You know, he's a, he's a fan of that kind of stuff. Oh, big time, yeah. <laughs> <Two> puns. <laughs> Bring them on. All right, thank you, Riley. Yeah, have a good morning, guys. All right, Riley Nelson, BYU football radio analyst right there. Riley Jensen, our college football insider, is coming up in about uh, 20 minutes. He just had to reschedule. He moved his way up. So uh, instead of 8.30, he'll be here about 8.05. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 
TJ and PK is brought to you by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. Get a lot of uh, feedback to discussion about uh, mediocrity. Is it imminent? Jay Drew dropped that during an interview yesterday. David says, uh, David Hatch here says, yep, I sure do. Stats since Kalani has been here are pretty telling. I love Kalani, but the offenses have been awful and the defenses have been between okay and not good. Other than that, man, they're right on schedule. <laughs> that's it, huh? So that's the way it's going to be. I think it's been a little better than that, or they wouldn't be. And I think he's sitting right at 500 right now. 22, 22. 22 and 22, right? So if you've been... Uh, if you've been awful on one side of the ball and not good on the other, I would I would think you'd be sitting with a losing record. So it's been a little better than that. Jeremy says Wilson was supposed to be the savior after the bowl game, and he's been a disappointment this year. He's been a disappointment. I can't go that. I can. I that's you were short. really disappointed watching that sixty yard completion to Tennessee. Yeah, I, I can't. A lot of disappointment. There. Why? Why would he be disappointed? Or be disappointing. He disappointed he's not playing for a while. I get that. But why would you say he's been disappointing? All I could give you on that, because I wouldn't say it either, I'm trying to read his mind, is they lost at Toledo. Because if they'd won at Toledo, they would be either, I think literally in every fan's mind, they would either be right where they're supposed to be or in a better position than they were expected to be. So I think disappointment's too harsh. I mean, they're in a tie game and he throws a pick. You're disappointed in the pick. I get it. If they win that game in overtime like they won the last two in overtime, I don't know that you're that disappointed. Christopher tweets at us, because they can't recruit like a P5 and have position depth, they have to front load their schedule with P5 teams, and once they're done with the early tough games, they're limited by injuries going forward. See, Wisconsin won last year and then poor results after that, and now USC this year. All right, well, what are we saying here? I got, I got all confused. He says the way the schedule's front-loaded and the fact that they they just don't have enough depth to handle it and win like you'd want in the backside of the schedule. So depth has gotten worse. Because I'm looking at Broncos last year in 2015. Right? They beat Nebraska and Boise. Mm-hmm. They go down the Rose Bowl, lose. They go to Michigan, get worked, right? So they're 2-2. Two and two. With the, with the end of their P5 regular season. Mm-hmm. Well, then they roll out five wins in a row. Who'd they beat? UConn, East Carolina, Cincinnati, Wagner, San Jose. San Jose is 17-16, but before 15,000 people. But they won the game. All right. And then they go to Arrowhead Stadium and KC. Lose to Missouri? Yeah, by four points. Uh, beat Fresno, beat Utah State, and then lose the bowl game. So they finish 8-5. and five. So they're 8-4 and four in the season, right? Regular season. Well, we talked about 8-4. and four. They got it. So... And what, 8-4, and four, and tell me what their big wins were? Nebraska in the opener? Two and Boise State, right? Okay. Utah, Utah State. And Utah State. But did Utah State suck that year? Because Matt Wells had a couple of... He had a bad year there, year two or three. That might have been it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you're, you're playing Utah State every year, so you're at their mercy. I assume 
Uh, Utah State wasn't all that good that year. 22,000 people at the game. Uh, so the depth then, because that's basically a schedule similar to this year. That was a 6-7 and seven Utah State team. So, okay, at best. Um, but that's a schedule similar to this year. Although I don't remember such outrage that, oh my gosh, this is an unbelievable schedule. Maybe I I'm, don't remember it. But Boise isn't a power five, but they were ranked 20th. I consider Boise good enough to be a power five. They've certainly they've done enough over the years. Uh, so three out of the first four, as opposed to four to the four, first four. But I could argue that beating Boise at home is way more impressive than beating a crappy Tennessee team on right. the road. So it's a similar schedule. So has the depth really just changed? Everything has changed dramatically from Bronco. Bronco never had, even as an independent, he never had less than eight wins. His low mark as an independent was that eight and five season. Two of them. Yeah. His last year, nine and four. First year, 10 and three as an independent when they loaded up on a bunch of cupcakes, which uh, Bronco or Tom had said, you got to give me time here to build up the schedule. He called it that when they made that announcement. So you have to give him time. And he had time and clearly his schedule is a lot better. And then Bronco goes eight and five, eight and five, eight and five, nine and four. And then everybody's saying, thank goodness he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> but see that goes back to people perceive mediocrity as doing what you've been doing. They always want more. Coaches are talking yeah, about think, feeding I, the beast I don't of think high expectations. Capable of more consistently. They can do it occasionally, maybe. Haven't done it yet. But I think what they have and what your rival has, you got eight and five, eight and four. It's not bad. DJ and PK coming up next. We're talking college football with Riley Jensen, our college football insider. Stay with us.